0: This podcast episode is sponsored by Salesforce.org. Salesforce.org is the social impact centre of Salesforce, focused on partnering with a global community of changemakers. They provide access to powerful technology that empowers changemakers to build a better world. Salesforce.org's Education Cloud gives higher education institutions a single shared view of students, alumni and staff in an integrated CRM platform to create personalized experiences at scale, transforming learner engagements into lifelong relationships.
1: Yes, we will come out of this as a strengthened, more innovative institution.
0: Well hello everyone and welcome to The Edge, accelerating higher education and season two of our podcast series with Salesforce.org where we take a fresh look at higher education and digital transformation. This is our last episode in this series so a huge thank you to everyone for listening in, to our series guests and for Salesforce.org for making it all possible. We look forward to planning our next series over this summer to land with you in the autumn or fall term of 2021. In this episode of the podcast, I'm in conversation with Dr. Gerd Kortemeyer, Director of Educational Development and Technology at ETH Zurich, one of the world's most prestigious science and technology universities. I talked to Gerd about the, so- concept, about the concept of social-linked data, otherwise known as SOLID, In the context of higher education, we talk about students taking ownership of their data and having a learner identity that permeates their whole learning lives. We also cover other systems questions higher education leaders need to consider when thinking about evolving their university offering. To that end, I would encourage everyone listening to check out the work of EduCore's on their top IT issues for 2021 titled Emerging from the Pandemic, which offers a framework split into restore, evolve or transform to help universities think about how they may exit the pandemic and move into their next phase. We will drop the link for that framework in our show notes. Okay, here we go. My chat with Gerd from ETH Zurich and see you back in the autumn term. Okay, wonderful. Well, I'm delighted to be here with Dr. Gerd Kortemeyer, uh, the Director of Educational Development and Technology at ETH Zurich. For those who don't know, ETH Zurich is one of the world's most prestigious science and technology universities with over 20 Nobel Prize laureates to its name, including uh, the very famous Albert Einstein. Um, so welcome, Gerd.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Um, Just to start, please could you tell our listeners
1: who you are and what you do? Yes, I'm Gerd Kortemeyer. I'm the Director of Educational Development and Technology at ETH Zurich. Uh, That is part of the Rectorate. And so we are charged with being one component in the decision process uh, where we're going to go in the future, in the next 10 or 20 years in terms of teaching and learning. Yeah, And of course, like most other universities, that's uh, a process with many stakeholders in it, and we are definitely one part of it.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. And how would you sort of sum up the past year, if you were to describe that in a few sentences?
1: Surprisingly good. Of course, we're hit like every other university on this planet here. Uh, like every other university on the planet, within very short amount of time, we had to switch completely the way that we are doing teaching and learning. The process went surprisingly smoothly. And as we are looking at examination results, as we are looking at uh, student satisfaction surveys, the transition was a successful one. Only now are we learning uh, or coming to appreciate the many components of university teaching. The subject matter is one of it. And that one, I think we uh, were pretty successful in carrying on. But the campus atmosphere is something Mm -hmm. that many of our faculty, students, staff are missing. And I think we will come back from this with a new appreciation of what it means to be face to face on a campus of a university.
0: hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. So I've got to hear, uh, this is our last episode in our Higher Ed series, Um, and to date we've mostly sort of channeled our efforts into how people are adapting now to the pandemic, whether that be through the recruitment of students or student experience. Um, But in this episode, we are going a bit farther out into the future, and you're going to be talking to us about some of the different scenarios that may be enabled by or through use of data analytics. And I've got a bit of an excerpt here that may um, help frame that. So I'll just read quickly and then we'll go into some of our questions. So it says The dialogues of educational leaders is a buzz with perhaps the largest disruption in higher education since 1088 or when universities first began. The common ingredient behind today's buzz is data. So to offer personalised learning and match learners up with the right educational experiences, educators need to synthesise the gigabytes of transactional data, essentially click streams of learning assessments. Kortemeyer envisions a future in which enrolment in course modules is driven by a data-driven algorithm. So tomorrow's migrant learner leaves a breadcrumb trail of educational data but there are massive gaps in the trail due to multiple platforms and data privacy laws that prevent data exchange between institutions and countries. So one idealistic altruistic paradigm shift would be that the institutions relinquish control to the learner, granting him or her self-sovereignty. A less charitable interpretation would be that the institutions successfully offload responsibility for privacy and safekeeping. Similar to the approach of the medical sector toward a virtual patient record, the education sector could float the concept of a learning passport. And the business logic of giving authorizations, bestowing credits, credentials and grades would still be with the institutions. But even further into the future, learners would take their artificially intelligent learning coach with them. Their coach is in their own employ and interacts with the institutions on their behalf. To address the potential for academic fraud, federated blockchains could be employed to verify a ledger of actual data. Still, a transition to a distributed identity management and decentralised storage provision would likely require a significant transition timeline as institutions are gearing up for the future, those system architectures should consider these possibly inevitable developments. So um, I really enjoyed mulling over some of these scenarios. And indeed, we've um, looked at things like blockchain for learning and and credentialing verification on the podcast before. But I just wondered if you could talk me through those um, kind of various scenarios and um, the thinking behind them as well.
1: Well, I think it is a very common trend uh, that services adapt to the, I'm just going to call it the customer. If you Mm. go on Amazon, it makes recommendations for you, what you should buy. If you go to YouTube, if you go to Netflix, to any of these platforms, they usually try to learn as much as possible about the customer and then make targeted recommendations of what the customer should view next or should buy next. I think on the long run, the educational sector might go the same way. Uh, Only there, it is not a spur-of-the-moment purchase. It will actually turn into a lifelong learning journey where along the way, the educational uh, offerings will be adapted to the needs of the learner. Mm -hmm. Of course, the central ingredient to that is uh, getting to know the learner or actually knowing the learner. So, that every stage along the journey, you can make appropriate recommendations for additional certifications, for additional uh, courses that might have to be taken. Uh, the most valuable commodity in all of that is this data. And one of the questions we should ask ourselves is whom does that data belong to? Mm-hmm. At the moment, we are, if I'm shopping on Amazon, Amazon reserves the right that it's their data. If I'm doing anything on Google, Google reserves the right that it is their data because that is the most valuable commodity that these companies own. Uh, In the educational sector, where we are talking about a lifelong journey uh, and where we are talking about very private data, uh, Mm -hmm. performance on assessments, skills, abilities, one should argue that maybe the data should belong to the learner. The learner essentially should go from institution to institution, bringing their own data with them. And then as they plug into that institution, essentially the matchmaking can begin. Some companies already are moving in that direction. If you follow what LinkedIn is currently doing, Mm -hmm. they very strongly try to establish themselves as a lifelong learning partner. But then, of course, we see the idea that the data belongs to LinkedIn. Uh, I think there, as uh, public institutions of higher education, we might be able to take a different stance and actually give the sovereignty over the data to the learner. The learner would then be able to see what data exists about them, and they could decide Uh, who gets access to this data, and for what purposes. The concept of that is something that was uh, proposed as social-linked data, and none other than the inventor of the web, uh, Tim Berners-Lee, has been a strong proponent of this view of data, personal data belonging to the person
0: that data is so valuable so you know just thinking about funding for universities as well so obviously here in the UK there is a, a sort of fee to attend university and whether in 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 that scenario you know learners may choose to relinquish some of that data in, in return for actually funding their their university places Um, whether that's, you know, in connection to potential future employer or um, other parties such as big tech to actually then fund some of their, their kind of learning experience.
1: Yeah, that is a very, very interesting aspect because currently universities are sitting on this valuable data. And of course, there are employers who are interested in that data for recruitment purposes. I still don't think it is the a public university's place to sell this data. Mm. If that is the new revenue stream that the universities pursue, I think there are um, uh, it's mission creep. I think mm. it's uh, missing the point of what public higher education should be about. I still think that this particular view of data does not harm uh, economic uh, competitiveness because what it allows is that the institutions can better offer the correct, the right learning opportunities to learners and in that way position themselves much better as a lifelong education partner for these learners. And yes, they would market to the learners and not to big tech. But after all, that is their mission, and we should not forget the mission of higher education. We are not a commercial business, even though Mm -hmm. it uh, increasingly uh, pressure is put. I know in other countries, Switzerland, we are fortunate that it's not the case. But in other countries, I'm also a professor at an American university. Yes. Uh, There is a lot of pressure on institutions to become uh, self-sufficient, competitive institutions. I think that's going the wrong way. I think we serve the learners and this particular view will allow us to better serve the learners. And yes, it will also allow us more targeted Offerings to those learners. So hopefully they stay with us for a longer time and take more educational opportunities from us.
0: And one of your points, I said, in in your model, the university sort of becomes the pedagogical stamp of authority for those passing through, and then sort of blockchain might be the technological underpinning. And, you know, it made me think about whether the case is that the sort of technology is there and it's actually... I don't know if you'd call it the political will, but the actual, you know, will to um, create these kind of systems and, you know, move things forward to to be more learner-centric and data-driven. So what's your kind of view on whether it's actually sort of that change management piece or whether it's actually implementing the technology?
1: Change management is going to be a big challenge here. Uh, I mean, I had... Mentioned earlier that what we are looking at right now might be the biggest change since the University of Bologna was founded. Uh, but this disruption is here. I think what the pandemic allows us to do is uh, better deal with a lot of naysayers, better deal with a lot of people who say this is simply impossible because it turns out a lot of things were possible when they were necessary. Mm. So I think we have uh, a historic moment here where disruption has become the norm and where I think it has opened our mind to thinking bigger into the future of what uh, what our institutions are about. and we should not miss that opportunity. You had mentioned the university as kind of a pass through thing that bestows certifications of learning on their students. That is probably still true. We both deliver learning content, but we also certify it. Mm-hmm. And that particular function will not go away. A university's reputation goes a long way toward the value of the degrees that that university is giving and the integrity of our examination processes and the integrity of our certifications that we give is going to be essential, not only for the institution, but for the students themselves. They want their degree to have value. Many of that is currently being undermined. Mm-hmm. There are uh, fraudulent businesses that fake degrees. There are uh, several companies whose only business it is to create fake educational transcripts. That one we need to defeat and we need to defeat that as a federation of universities Mm -hmm. that work together to preserve the integrity of the degrees that we bestow. And you had mentioned uh, federated blockchains as one of the way of doing that and I think that is most certainly true. Storing the fingerprints of the transactional data that we put on the student's transcripts is something that would best be handled as a federation of universities with a shared blockchain between them to uh, at any point in time be able to verify the correctness of a transcript that the student is bringing with them to another institution or to a potential employer
0: it's really interesting i mean uh, on the on the point of identity as well um you know it's very pertinent at the moment because it's certainly in the uk we're we're talking a lot about things like um vaccine passports yes and um i guess my question was with with the sort of university still being a uh something which perhaps has a way to go in terms of inclusion how do we ensure that learner identity systems are inclusive so how can we build in that best practice to make sure that if we go through this scenario that that actually sort of helps bring people into that learning experience and they're not sort of outside of it
1: i think exactly on that point inclusivity the idea of social linked data is Mm -hmm. the correct approach a person is a person and a person brings with them. their own data. So instead of relinquishing the control of that person's educational data to the institutions, this particular approach would allow the learner to be have sovereignty over that data. Currently, I'm working with, with scholars from uh, countries that have been torn apart by war, mm. the institutions that gave them the degrees don't even exist anymore. As we are looking at how the landscape is changing and particularly smaller and in a way, I would say cheaper institutions might vanish from one day to the next. And along with them, the ability to verify the credentials that have been coming from these institutions, particularly for underprivileged learners, uh, is something that uh, should be worrisome. The idea would be that probably the leading universities, where only a few students are going, those places will probably not go away anytime soon. But uh, the smaller institutions or the institutions in countries that have unstable governments, that have unstable infrastructure, all of that can go away, leaving that particular learner suddenly without any way of verifying the credentials and the achievements that they have in, have had in education. Here, having that data with themselves, I think, creates more equity rather than less.
0: You you mentioned as well the sort of data-driven algorithm uh, where you might envision how that that might manage enrollment. Um, And I wondered in your mind, uh, what would the ideal be in terms of who builds that, who controls it? And who do we complain to if we don't like that algorithm?
1: Well, okay. so my particular point of view there would be that not only you bring with yourself your data, you also bring with yourself your personal learning coach. Mm -hmm. Basically, the matchmaker between what you have achieved thus far and what an institution has to offer would be guided by an algorithm that is your algorithm. It's your AI agent, your coach that you take along with you on that lifelong learning journey. And if you don't like that agent, you fire the agent and you you basically hire another agent, you hire another coach. I think there is plenty of room for uh, competing Mm -hmm. offerings of this particular learning coach. The learning coach would not be the institutions. The learning coach would be something that is in your employ and basically you hired I mean licensed uh, a particular coaching algorithm
0: and when you've been doing your research in this area as well um, and reviewing sort of best practice and what what how universities are adapting or changing or you know piloting new credentialing or teaching and learning, um, are there any pockets of innovation where you'd say actually yes they're they're kind of closer to some of these scenarios being realized.
1: Uh, Oh, definitely so. We are approaching that at the moment from many, many angles. First thing is identity management, at least Mm -hmm. within an admittedly very small country, Switzerland, uh, where I currently work. There is the whole idea of having one educational identity that you keep lifelong. Uh, That is being managed by uh, a company called Switch. And it is offering basically from the time that you offer uh, that you enter high school you have one student identity number and you carry that with them at all times and then there's the edu id that you carry along with you so there's already an inst- uh, cross institutional identity management in place another thing that is happening uh, is the certification of degree documents through Blockchains. Mm-hmm. It is currently not where I believe it should be, but there are several efforts underway by companies uh, that institutions can buy as basically a notarization service from those companies. The PDF files of the degree documents uh, are hashed. And this particular fingerprint is stored in the blockchain so that later on the correctness of that PDF document can be verified via blockchain. I think we should go a little bit further. We should not just verify the document. We should also verify the data that is on the document, Mm -hmm. but we are moving there. In terms of adapting to the learner during running courses, uh, the idea of educational data mining, the idea of learning analytics has been uh, mulled around for decades now, but I think it's slowly coming to fruition as Mm -hmm. we are collecting more and more data. So, there are significant research efforts underway in terms of that level of adaptivity. And finally, when it comes to finishing degrees, at least at American universities, you have uh, degree navigators for students where basically you can play through different curricula, you can play through the effect of changing uh, majors you can play through, if I took this course instead of that course, what would that do to my uh, chances of getting a degree in a timely manner? All of that based on the learner data of all of the students that have gone before you. But yeah, all the data is currently with the universities. It's not with the learner, it's the data is owned by the universities.
0: I hadn't heard of that last one. That's really interesting. So, sort of simulating the effects of changing pathways partway through and what that would mean. It's really interesting. Oh, that's,
1: that's, uh, I mean, for American universities, the phenomenon of uh, attrition mm. and the phenomenon of time to degree is an essential quality measure of these universities. So, it is in their very best effort to have low attrition rates and to have short time to degree. So they are already making extensive use of educational data mining in order to offer students and advisors the correct tools to evaluate uh, course choices. I guess degree navigators would be the, the key word for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And like yourself, there'll be many people listening into this who are sort of in the senior leadership team at universities around the world. Uh, who are sort of, you know, considering the next steps and thinking about how they navigate sort of changed finances at their university, uh, sort of future proofing um, the student experience going forward, and 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 thinking about and ruminating on all of these big questions around data. So um, I just wondered what your thoughts are around questions of sort of systems architecture. You know i've got an interview coming up with someone around sort of 6g um and the implications on different learning technologies and things like that then again you you know you've got people who still think of educational technology as a as a cost center as opposed to a sort of revenue generator or in a different way a sort of something that underpins student experience so what are the big questions in terms of systems architecture and technology in sort of preparing for some of these scenarios and how to get the best out of them as well?
1: Yeah, I think many of our universities have been in the business of managing student data for decades. And I think many of our uh Educational leaders are facing now the problem of legacy systems. We have uh, we just t- took a look at what we have at ETH Zurich, uh, which we have a system that functions fantastically well. It's a very very stable system, but it's historically grown. At some point in time, all of us will have to think about what is the next generation of these systems that had oftentimes grown to uh, literally 1,000 database tables that are somehow uh, related to each other. How can we move with that into the future? Mm. Uh, We are actively working on that. We know that most other universities are actively looking at that. And there is going to be a certain hesitancy to switch away from extremely stable but complex system to next generation systems, and that will take some some courage. We, yeah. we are afraid though that it is a necessary step for us to move into the next several decades. So yeah, courage, I would definitely say you'll need some some courage. Uh, people should not forget who we are as universities. we are not a corporate business. Uh, So if we have student data entrusted to us, we still need to make sure that we deal with that data in the interest of the learner and not in the interest of economic uh, gain. So exactly the idea of selling that data. Either to third parties, multinationals, uh, or to to potential employers. I think we should not go there. It will on the long run undermine our mission uh, not only in teaching and learning, we have to be also an independent researcher. And having these economic ties, uh, I think might, On the long run, inhibit us from from being an objective, independent, researching business. So don't forget we do more than just teaching. Yeah, so I would say, remember who we are. The systems, I think, will need to go to much more modular systems. We used to see this as a cost center. We said that uh, we're going to license a particular cost management system that usually came along as a monolithic system uh, beginning to end solution. And then we coupled that with yet another system and we coupled that. And as we do that, more and more duct tape gets, gets uh, mm-hmm. accrued along the way yeah. to make these systems talk to each other. I think the idea of a monolithic system is an idea of the past. It will not allow us to uh, bring educational innovation to the students quickly enough. It's a pro it's a system architecture that is very uh, very resilient to any kind of change. It always takes forever to get a new functionality put in. So it will be a much more modular, a much more decentralized architecture. And having the student data uh, decentralized may be something to at least look at seriously. But we have to be able to plug in new innovations in teaching. So I envision a sort of very lean platform underneath and uh, then plugging in different functionalities into a very lean sort of operating system for educational functionality.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then my my sort of final question was, uh, and this is something we ask all of our podcast guests, is whether there are any books, projects or people that you would um, recommend to our listeners. Um, these might be uh, things that have influenced your own way of thinking or that you would like to share um, for those interested in this area as well?
1: In this particular context, I would very seriously looking into social linked data mm. as a way of managing personalized data in the future. Uh, are, we are approaching that from many angles. Uh, learning passports are something that are being talked about, at least in Germany, But that is uh, not quite there yet. The virtual patient record is something that uh, usually very conservative industry is considering at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's still not quite there. So in this particular context, I would look at the idea of solid and at uh, social linked data as a way of having a lifelong migrant learner. That goes from institution to institution, taking advantage of different educational opportunities along the way. And yes, yes, they will bring a revenue to that institution, uh, unless it's a state-funded system. By taking advantage of these opportunities, they will bring revenue to the institution.
0: And just finally, to bring everything back sort of locally, um, you know, what are your kind of, um, I suppose, next plans at uh, ETH Zurich? So when you're thinking about uh, educational development and technology, um, what's on your own radar in terms of things that will be um, possibly developed um, within your own context?
1: At the moment, we are building prototypes, For uh, new user models, we are building prototypes for new content management models at our institution. So that is something we are just building in order to gain experience with it. Uh, Those are not production systems. Otherwise, we are thinking about the future on several timescales. We are looking at learning beyond uh, COVID for the next five years out. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are looking at what we call Digital Campus 2030, where we are looking at our IT infrastructure for the next 10 years out. And we are looking at uh, learning 2040. Where would we like to be as an institution 20 years from now in terms of uh, teaching and learning? And then, of course, we work backward from that. So, I think uh, for us as an institution, it's very, very important to not just we are to get out of crisis management, to get yeah. out of extinguishing fires. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, we had very few of those, and just take this really as an opportunity to say, okay, it is 2021. Where would we like to be in 2040? It's an exciting journey. It's something that many people are putting a lot of enthusiasm and creativity into. What's going to be the outcome of that? I cannot predict. But I'm very excited about the journey we are taking right now. And uh, yes, we will come out of this as a strengthened, more innovative institution.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I think it's it's so encouraging to think that far out and and to, to start to think about some of these um, potential scenarios as well, especially as we end this podcast series. So something for our listeners to mull over until we're back in the autumn as well.
1: Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you so much. Have a very good day. Bye bye.
0: And that's the end of this week's episode. My thanks to Gerd for such an uplifting outlook on what's possible in higher ed and definitely more on the evolve and transform end of Educause's framework on how universities might adapt post-pandemic. As mentioned before, this is our last episode in this series, so a huge thank you to everyone for listening in, to our series guests and for salesforce.org for making it all possible. We are in planning phase now, so look out for a new series trailer in the autumn term. If you've enjoyed this series, you can also drop us a quick review or rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're celebrating five years of the podcast next week. For all the show notes, including resource and reading recommendations, go to theedtechpodcast.com and you can continue the conversation online at podcastedtech and salesforce.org. Have a fantastic summer, and where you can, do get some rest. Bye-bye.